Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. Well, as we uh, are here in the final two weeks of the year, uh, I have a couple of different messages that I want to share with you that both kind of stem from the, the idea or the theme of that's a wrap. That's a wrap. This is a, a, a term that's used in the film industry. Anytime uh, a director's um, finishing a particular scene or maybe finishing an entire project, they'll use language like that. That's a wrap. And uh, this time of year, of course, all of us, man, we're wrapping up our Christmas gifts uh, so that we can be prepared to present them to people that we love and appreciate on Christmas Day. Uh, and at the same time, we're kind of wrapping up our year, you know, we're, we're wrapping up everything that's going on in 2022, getting ready for 2023. And so, you know, that, that whole idea, that's wrap has been in my mind. And, and I want to talk to you about the whole wrapping up a gift thing today and then wrapping up a year thing next uh, weekend. But let's start here with this gift. And let me just real quick, just take a poll. Are you guys good at wrapping gifts? How many are good at wrapping gifts? Come on, raise your hand if you're good at it. My wife is really good at it. Man, they always look so good. All the lines are clean, they're sharp, you know, and uh, it just looks beautiful. Like you just picked it up at Tiffany's in New York or something, you know, and, but mine on the other hand are so pathetic. They're just horrible. No matter how hard I try, my package, when I wrap it, ends up, are you familiar with that dog breed, the Sharpay with all the all the saggy wrinkles, that's what my gifts look like when I wrap them. It's, it's pathetic, it's horrible, man. But I, I wanna talk to you about the greatest gift that's ever been given to our world today and how it was wrapped up. Because God's gift to the world was wrapped in a very unique package, wasn't it? Of course, God's gift to the world was our Savior, Jesus. That's what we're celebrating this time of year. That's what over 15,000 people walked through those doors the last two weekends and celebrated with us was God's gift to the world. The real story of Christmas is that gift, amen? We're so grateful and thankful for that, but that gift God gave to the world was wrapped up in a very unique package, and of course, what I'm referring to here is I'm referring to the doctrine of the incarnation. So you hear that term, you know, if you've been around church at all, you hear that term. But I wanna make sure all of us understand it today as we enter into this Christmas season. I want us to understand the whole idea of the incarnation because that, that term literally means in the flesh. The incarnation describes that moment when God came and wrapped himself up in our humanity. He became one of us to save all of us. Somebody say, thank God. And so that whole idea of the incarnation means in the flesh. Now here's what's interesting to me as a follower of Jesus and someone who studied world religions through the years so that I'd have a better understanding of what other people believe and practice. Most of the world's major religions tell you that if you practice that religion, that religion will help you as a man become a God. Most world religions claim they can take men and make them into gods. Christianity flips the script and it says, no, 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 no. On the contrary, men will never be God, but God became a man. God became one of us so that he could save all of us. 
And that's what the incarnation is all about. And yet so many people have such a problem with that and really push back on the whole concept because to embrace the concept is to recognize that we need a savior, that we needed God to become one of us because all of us need him so desperately that we need a savior because we need saving. We need to be saved from our sin and mankind doesn't wanna admit that. We don't wanna own that. And so we push back on this idea of the incarnation and people struggle with it and they really wrestle with it. Even people who maybe are deists and they believe that there's you know, an all-powerful God, it's hard not to believe that when you look at creation. It's obvious that this was all done by design, right? But, but the idea of a loving God, a benevolent God that would come here and dwell among us as one of us is something that so much of humanity just kind of pushes back on. And of course, it is a very difficult concept to embrace. God in diapers? I mean, come on, right? God needing a noonie is something that we really have a hard time kind of wrapping our heart and our understanding around. I think that's what Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, when he said this, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. And what the spirit means is, is that in our sinful nature, we're doomed. We're doomed to an eternity without God unless, unless the incarnation happens. Unless God becomes one of us and pays the price for all of us so that we can know him, so that we can uh, have him save us of our sins, make us right with himself, give us a brand new life here and now, an eternal life when this life is over. And that's exactly what God did. It's exactly what God has achieved with the incarnation. Why does humanism push back this, on this idea? Why, do, why does humanism, why does it try to unwrap the gift? Okay, yeah, maybe there's a God, but God wrapped up in our flesh. No, 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 no. They, they, wanna, they wanna unwrap that gift. Why? I think it's maybe because we only see God as a taker, not as the giver that he really is. We see God as a taker. We describe him that way at funerals. We talk about how he took this one or that one from us. We think of him as a taker. People who will never acknowledge God in any other circumstance when there's a natural disaster that happens, all of a sudden they're talking about God. And they'll call the earthquake or they'll call the tsunami or they'll call the hurricane an act of God. It's how lost, fallen humanity sees him. We see him as a taker, not as a giver. But I came to church to remind you of one of the most familiar passages in all the New Testament. It's found in John's gospel, chapter three and verse 16. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Come on, in this Christmas season, I wanted to remind us all today, our God is a giver. Our God is a giver. And the incarnation was his gift to the world. He gifted us the plan of salvation, hope, 
in Christ. And I'm so thankful, aren't you? You know, as we consider today together, God all wrapped up in our humanity, we have to think about what Jesus was willing to forfeit in order to come here and provide us with a savior. If you read the words of Jesus in the four gospels, what you're gonna see over and over and over is Jesus describing how important his communion with the father really was. His communion with the father was so priceless and precious to him. His his place in that divine triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was a place of, of such seamless communion between these three eternal expressions of the Godhead. And in his humanity, Jesus constantly talked about that communion he had with the Father. And yet that's the very thing that he gave up in order to come here and provide us with a savior through the incarnation. C.S. Lewis likens it unto all of you um, dog lovers. Anybody here love your dog? Come on, if you love your dog and you're, not, and you're not ashamed of it, say amen. We love our pets, man. But imagine you looked at your, your dog and you, you thought, I could make him more human-like if I was willing to become like him. If I was willing to become like him, if I was willing to step out of the great ways we all have as humans to communicate with one another, if I was to step out of that and become a dog so that my dog has a hope of becoming more human-like, I'm gonna limit myself to expressing myself with a bark now and again and a wag of the tail when I had all these other great human ways of communicating just because of my love for my dog and, and my attempt, my desire to make him more human. Now you're beginning to understand and see what the incarnation costs Jesus as it relates to that divine communion that he had with the Father. And he was willing to lay it aside so that we can now have communion with the Father. And somebody ought to be thanking God for that this Christmas season. That's what the incarnation was really all about. You might have put it this way. The incarnation gave us Emmanuel. The incarnation gave us Emmanuel. Another term that's kind of thrown around in religious circles and church. And, and yet, man, it's so important that we get it, that, that we really understand that term Emmanuel. What does it mean? It was Isaiah who prophesied who Jesus would be and how he would come to this world. Hundreds of years before he arrived in Bethlehem, here's what Isaiah said by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 7 and verse 4. He said, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Hey, church here at Christmas time, I felt like I just needed to remind you the incarnation was all about us getting to have God with us. God with us. That's what that baby born in Bethlehem so long ago was really all about. 
giving us an opportunity to have God with us. Now, now let me explain something because, you know, there are some that will want to point to Isaiah chapter 7 as like a, a discrepancy in scripture. And they'll say, well, you know, Isaiah said his name will be called Emmanuel. But when the angel appeared to Joseph and Mary, he said that his name was to be called Jesus. Well, Emmanuel's a title. Jesus is the name. Emmanuel's the title. It's a title like all the other titles given to the coming Messiah by Isaiah the prophet through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the ninth chapter of the book that bears his name there in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah declared that his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of these are titles for this one named Jesus who would come as God wrapped up in our humanity so that we could have communion with God. Here's what I'm trying to convey to you and I hope you're getting it today. I hope you can wrap your heart around this truth. God's presence was his present. That was the gift. The gift that God gave us was our opportunity to know the presence of God. As the book of Hebrews puts it, to come boldly into the throne room of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving. We can come into his courts with praise. We can know him, love him, be embraced by him, all because of Emmanuel, all because of the incarnation. His present was his presence. Think of it this way. Think about the, the wealthy, affluent parents who are never around for their child, but they try to make up for it by giving them all kinds of gifts. They'll buy them the latest toys. When they're a little older, it's clothes and it's cars, but they never give them their presents. They give them presents, but not presents. And if you talk to those people, I promise you as adults today, they would tell you they had much rather have been in their parents' presence than just to get all the presents. And I'm so thankful that we have a loving father that knew his presence would mean so much more. That it's the real gift. God wrapped an extremely important lesson up for us in the incarnation. And I don't want you walking through the week leading up to Christmas I don't want you doing that without acknowledging what an important lesson the incarnation really provided for us. God coming and wrapping himself up in our humanity. You know, we struggle with this idea because are you kidding me? A baby? It doesn't get any more vulnerable than a baby. It doesn't get any more dependent than, than a little infant child, right? It doesn't become any more vulnerable. And yet God came to us wrapped up in that kind of vulnerability. It's why we have such a difficult time with the concept. And yet, listen, there's a very important lesson in that that you don't need to miss. What is it? The lesson is his power is made perfect in weakness. I don't know what your weakness is, but we all have them. I don't know what it is that you've been struggling with. I don't know what that thing is that all your life, it's been the setback. All your life, it's been the thing you despise about yourself. I don't know what that is for you. 
I know what it is for me. I don't know what it is for you, but I'll tell you what it is for all of us. That weakness is the very thing that God intends to demonstrate his strength through. It's the very thing that gives him the greatest opportunity to to show the world how strong and powerful he really is. How will that be manifest? Right there in your greatest weakness. Paul describes this in both of his letters to the church there at Corinth. In the second letter, chapter 12, verse nine, he puts it this way. God told me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, so therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. In the first letter to that church, Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The foolish things. Come on, y'all, he's talking about us. He chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. That thing you struggle with, that thing you despise about yourself. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Think about Moses. God wants to make him the great leader of Israel and he's got a speech impediment. And he goes, I can't talk well. I I, I, I can't talk well. And God makes him the great leader that he became. Think about Gideon. He not only sees himself as the least of his household, he sees his household as the least household in all of Israel. And yet God makes him the great victorious warrior that he became. Think about David. He's a shepherd boy with a slingshot and a stone. And yet he takes down the great champion of the Philistines, Goliath. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Why? Because God's power is made manifest in our own weakness. Don't don't miss that message this Christmas season as we celebrate the incarnation together. You know, when I think about this gift God gave the world wrapped up in that tiny little baby born in Bethlehem so long ago, I, I, have, to, I have to remind myself that this gift demonstrates the fact that God has always known how he was gonna wrap this up. Our sin didn't catch him by surprise. And he knew all along how he would wrap up his plan of salvation. He knew it all along. Look back to the conversation that he had there in the garden when his first man and first woman had sinned against him, had partaken of the forbidden fruit. He addresses them and he addresses their tempter, the serpent. Do you recall the conversation? Over there in the book of Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God said to the serpent, I will make you and the woman hate each other. Her offspring and your offspring will always be enemies. Her offspring will crush your head. Y'all know he's talking about Jesus here, don't you? Her offspring will crush your head. I'm gonna bring a savior through your lineage. I'm gonna bring a savior savior through humanity's lineage and he's gonna crush your head, serpent. He's gonna crush your head, Satan, and you will bite at her offspring's heel. This, This incarnation that we celebrate every Christmas, it's the fulfillment of that prophecy. It's Jesus, it's God making good on his promise through Jesus. Can you say thank God for that? We've looked at the first book of the Bible. Let's look at the the last book of the Bible. Let's look at the book of Revelation, please. Chapter 13, verse eight. 
where the Bible declares there that all who dwell on the earth will worship this beast, this antichrist, all whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Even pointing forward, the scripture points back. It lets us know that there's going to come a time when great deception will cover the face of this earth through this false God, this antichrist, and and that everyone that don't know the lamb will fall for it. But then it, it addresses the lamb of God as one slain from the foundations of the world. In other words, before the world ever existed, God had a plan to save me and you. Before me and you were ever me and you, before there was ever anyone even on this planet, God had a plan to save us. Can you say thank God for that today? That's what the incarnation reminds us of this Christmas season. Hey, we're entering into to Christmas next Sunday, so why don't we read the Christmas story? Can we do that together? Can I take just a minute? Would that be all right? And you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter two is where I'll begin in verse one through seven. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. Skip down to verse three. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census and became, I'm sorry, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the same, or the time came rather for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly uh, in strips of cloth. Some translations say uh, swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Skip down to verse uh, eight. Shepherds were in the fields near Bethlehem. They were taking turns watching their flock during the night. An angel from the Lord suddenly appeared to them and the glory of the Lord filled the area with light and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I have good news for you, a message that will fill everyone with joy. Today, your savior, Christ the Lord, was born in David's city. And this is how you'll recognize him. You'll find an infant wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a large army of angels appeared with the angel and they were praising God by saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those who have his goodwill. And the angels left them and went back to heaven and the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see what the Lord has told us about. And they went quickly and found Mary and Joseph with the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they saw the child, they repeated what they had been told about him. And everyone who heard the shepherd's story was amazed. Mary treasured all these things in her heart and always thought about them. As the shepherds returned to their flock, they glorified and praised God for everything they had seen and heard. Everything happened the way the angel had told them. When I read that passage, I realize God's had this whole thing in mind all along. He's always known how he was gonna wrap up this gift of salvation. Here's what's interesting. There's a great probability that these shepherds aren't just shepherds and their sheep aren't just your everyday sheep. Let me explain. We think of the Christmas story this way. We think Mary and Joseph arrive at Bethlehem and all the 
hotels were booked up. And so some innkeeper kind of like out of the goodness of his own heart says, here, you can stay in my barn. And, and that, you know, all of a sudden angels appear, these random shepherds who have to go through Bethlehem and find the right manger so that they can witness the birth of God's son, right? That's the way we kind of think of the Christmas story. There is Jewish tradition that teaches these weren't just your everyday shepherds. Now, I've, I've been to Bethlehem, I've been to Israel, and uh, in my trips there, they, they've always pointed out a place right outside of Bethlehem, on, on route to Jerusalem, there's a place that, that is referred to as Shepherd's Field. History records that there was a great tower there. The tower is even mentioned in the Old Testament in the book of Micah chapter four. But there was a, a tower there in the city of David. David probably used it as a form of fortification. But over the centuries, it was no longer used that way and it became uh, something the shepherds would use for little lambs that had just been born. They would actually bring them into this tower where there was a stone manger or feeding trough and they would lay those little lambs in that manger and they would inspect them. Because as I said, these probably weren't just any average shepherd. They probably were Levitical shepherds. They were the shepherds responsible to the Levitical priesthood for bringing the little lambs that would be used for the sacrifices to atone for the sins of God's people. And they would lay them there in that manger to inspect them because the Levitical law said they had to be spotless and they had to be perfect. And once they saw they were, they would wrap them in these strips of cloth or swaddling clothes. Most of the time when we read that worded that way in the, in the story, in the narrative. We think of our babies that we kind of wrap up in a blanket and we get them snug as a bug in a rug, that whole thing, you know? But this was actually probably a reference to those cloths that were used to wrap those lambs in preparation for that sacrifice. So here, here's what I want you to hear from me. When the angel said, this will be a sign unto you, the angel wasn't saying the sign will be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. If you read from any literal translation of the Greek, any literal translation of the Greek isn't gonna say a manger, it's gonna say the manger. It was the manger that those shepherds would have been very familiar with. The Migdal Idar, the tower of the flock, because that's the manger these sheep were inspected so that they could, once they were proven perfect, be brought to be slain for the atonement of the sins. And so the sign the angel is giving them isn't about a geographical location. It's about who this baby laying in that manger was, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The lamb slain from the foundations of the world. In all probability, these were Levitical shepherds bringing Praise and glory to the one who had been promised, that lamb that would sacrifice all so that you and I could have communion with God. Would you think about that with me this Christmas season and rejoice with me over the lamb of God 
that God has provided to save us of our sins. And let me just plead with you and appeal with you. We must not leave that gift that God wrapped up for us under the tree. We must not leave that gift that God wrapped up for us. We must not leave that gift there and not pick it up and take it on ourselves. We must receive that gift. We must embrace that gift. Are you hearing me today? Isaiah warned in Isaiah 53 verse three concerning the Messiah, we despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look upon him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. We know a fallen world is guilty of that. But church, let's don't be guilty of that ourselves. John's gospel, chapter one and verse 11, says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Let's not be so quick to point an accusing finger to first century people that wouldn't receive Jesus when we're just as guilty of not receiving the the gift God's given us either. I I read a statistic the other day that was staggering to me. You you know, a lot of times when we get ready to exchange gifts with someone, if if you don't know what they want or if you don't have time to get what they want, you just get a gift card, right? Anybody else guilty? Come on, hands up here, hands up, my hands up. All right, gift cards. Did you know in America, 39% of, of gifts given at Christmas are gift cards. Did you know that 33% of gifts given at Christmas are restaurant gift cards? Did you know that a, a typical American home has $300 in unused gift cards in that home? I don't know who those people are. Can you imagine that? $300 in gift cards laying around at your house. Listen to this. Between 2005 and 2011, there, were, there was $41 billion in gift cards unused. You wanna stimulate the economy? Use those gift cards. <laughs> I, I, I think of those statistics and it's staggering to me. I, I go, what in the world, right? It's crazy to me that people wouldn't use those gift cards. You know what's crazier to me? that people wouldn't receive that gift. That gift that God wrapped up in our humanity so he could pay for our sin, rise up on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and now giving us the opportunity to have communion with God, to know God, to be saved of our sins, to be made right with God, to have a new life here and now and an eternal life when this life is over. That's what Christmas was about. That's what the incarnation was all about. That's the gift of God to the world. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Jeff Abels and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message and you feel like you just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, if you cannot honestly say you've been living for God and you know that needs to change, I wanna invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. Why don't you call on Him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me? 
I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God. And I don't want that. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. Through faith in Jesus, I believe my life can change. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive all my sin, and change my life. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray, according to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. And someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly. Again, just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today, and God richly bless you is our prayer for you.